Camarda Wealth offers complimentary, that's free folks, portfolio reviews to listeners. Get us your statements and we will thoroughly examine your portfolio, give you opinions on the risk and quality of each position you own, as well as how wisely we believe the whole thing holds together and how efficiently it addresses your needs and goals. At the same time, we'll also opine on how protected your assets are from financial predators, your estate plan, tax savings opportunities, and other ways we can think that you can cut risk, avoid probate, save money, and just plain get richer faster. Did I mention this service was free? Just call us at 888-CAMARDA, that's C-A-M-A-R-D-A, 888-CAMARDA, to set up your free portfolio review now. Folks, welcome back uh, with your Camarda Wealth Education Leaders. So continuing the education, for, uh, or rather the uh, discussion from prior segment on annuities, um, which again are um, not good or bad per se. Uh, they're life insurance uh, contracts that were originally designed to produce a pension-type income later on in life. They've morphed into uh, an incredible array of, of differently uh, um, uh, constructed products, which have a lot of bells and whistles. But I think the important thing to remember is that the bells and whistles come at a cost, and the cost is often very much hidden. Um, the investors, and, and they really are viewed by the public as investing products, even though technically insurance products, the cost of, of these investments very almost never is appreciated uh, by the folks that purchase them. They're told that there are no commissions, and while that may be technically true, the agent gets a pretty big commission that's paid by the insurance company, that's ultimately funded by the purchaser. I mean, how else could it be? The money does is created out of, out of thin air. Um, but the people believe there are no commissions and there really are no fees and costs. But the reality is, is really quite different. So, uh, um, the, Rob, you had a couple of comments uh, um, on annuities, I think, uh, prior to the break. One of them was the fact that most of these are sold by the ones that we see a lot of are high commission products that are sold by insurance agents. There are a lot of really good, cheap, no-load annuities out there, aren't there? Uh, but, but nobody pushes them because there's no money in it, right? Right. I mean, there, are, there may be between six and ten of these out there, but even those, you know, there's only a few that are very, very inexpensive. Uh, we've helped clients who've been in annuities who, couldn't, who, want, who didn't want to get away from annuities because of the tax Most problem. Most of the tax. So once you, let's talk about the tax a little bit. So I really don't, like, there's no, I don't think there's any good reason to buy an annuity inside an IRA because it's already tax deferred. You know? So from a tax standpoint, uh, annuities are tax deferred. So kind of like IRAs, if you put $100,000 into an annuity and it grows to two hundred, you won't pay tax until you take the money out. So far, so good. But you're going to pay tax at the ordinary income rate, which typically the top rate is twice what the top capital gains rate is, right, mm-hmm. A. B, you're going to have to pay on the last in, first out basis, which means you pay tax on a whole $100,000 before you get back to your $100,000 of initial investment tax-free. Um, and there's really no selectivity. Like you can with stock shares, say, okay, I'm going to sell this and, and pay the, you know, sell the high basis ones first and get that money back tax-free. So you really... I think they're a tax disaster. Yeah, there, there's some isolated situations. We have one, there's like one annuity that has a number of choices where you can do active trading, and the reason you use it in this account is because you're not going to get hit for short-term gains because it continues to stay tax-deferred in the product, but, and you let it compound over time, but eventually when the money comes out, you're still going to get hit with the onerous tax. And plus you have the 10% penalty like an IRA before 59 and a half. So there's a lot of tax air on annuities. But typically, we know often we'll find folks that have had annuities for a while and they have a pretty big gain, 
and they don't want to pay the tax on the gain. If they're up $100,000 and they're under 59 and a half, you know, it's going to be tipped. It could be as much as 50% of the money. Sure. You know, so in those, and typically in those cases, we're able to help them get into very, very low cost, uh, um, the no load annuities uh, that, are, that we can manage. Um, and they don't have to pay the tax. It's a tax-free exchange or a tax-deferred exchange. It's a 1035 exchange, I think. Mm-hmm. 1035. They so call these investment-only variable annuities, and you're going to start seeing that that uh, that term out there. But again, you got to have an, a manager who's very adept at, you know, looking through the fund choices. It used to be, you know, you'd have 20, 30 funds. Now you can get as many as up to almost 400. So you have to have an astute asset manager to help you manage that product. Because if you don't, you're going to be. You may get results like the case we had earlier, where the guy's in, you know, in for 10 years and really has made no money, despite the yeah. fact that the market has done much better. Right. And, and that case was a great example of you, you, you spread the risk between different advisors, but you really didn't, didn't diversify it because one advisor didn't probably know what the other was doing. Well, and actually, that's a great point because very rarely, and that's why we, you know, really like to do coordinated wealth management to look at, you know, the investments and the tax and the estate and the asset protection. But very often advisors, be they financial advisors or the CPA, the attorney, and the, and the financial planner, don't talk as much as they should, so they're very disjointed plans. But I tell you, typically where we see like this other case where we had accounts in major wirehouses, they're very similar. They're all in U.S. large cap stocks, so they have some bonds. So even if they're, it's not that they're just buying you know, the same, they're fumbling through the same uh, um, the, uh, the investment structures, even though they're not talking to each other. And we find that very, very typically. So getting back to uh, the fact that annuities are pretty darn tough asset protection vehicles, John, you once mentioned to me that if you had somebody that had a, uh, a judgment maybe pending or they were in trouble, they were going to get sued, uh, that a Hail Mary pass might be to put the money not into an LLC but into an annuity. And although that, you know, you, you, that, that uh, tell me how that would play out if somebody did that with the asset protection attributes of annuities and uh, uh, compared to other choices they might make. Well, an- annuities are fairly unique from an asset protection standpoint in that the not only is the annuity itself safe but the proceeds of annuities are safe so as you pull money out that money still remains protected against creditors uh so it's oh, I, I didn't know that so once you take it out like an ira for instance you can take it out and spend it and thumb your nose at your pursuers absolutely yes uh, the problem is if the pursuers come after it and you have put money into an annuity after the claim has been filed or the lawsuit has been filed, uh, then what you have done is uh, convert a uh, non-exempt asset into an exempt asset and a creditor can come after that for what's called a fraudulent conversion. Right. So, uh, so, but, so, if, so if you did, just get back to the early point. So if you're, you're taking out, say, half a million dollars a year from an annuity, right? Right. That was set up properly before a threat uh, um, appeared, uh, and uh, you want to buy a Ferrari with that money. So you take out a half million dollars, and whatever you purchase with it is similarly protected? Or how does that? As long as you can trace the money directly from the annuity into the new asset, that is protected. Well, yes. you reek it to that. Now you're saying that, or, but but if you if you did not do it in time, say that I think I'm going to get sued, or better yet, Rob thinks he's going to get sued. He's gored somebody with his antlers, <laughs> and they, they followed him back and tracked him back through the hay to the farm, uh, and then he goes, "Gee whiz, I better you know put my money into into an annuity uh, before I get sued." Then what are his odds of protecting it there? 
probably slim if the creditor goes after it. But, you know, oftentimes the creditor doesn't go after it. And we've built a wall in there, and we've made it more difficult for them to get the asset. Because, now, they wouldn't go after that of ignorance or just thinking that it's an annuity, I probably can't get it, and don't do the investigation and the discovery to find out if it's, if it's uh, um, vulnerable. All of the above. Jonathan, during the break, you had a very astute question. You had a very astute question of getting back to the LLC thing that we be, the LLC theme that we began the show with uh, about uh, having other, uh, shall we say, uh, less circumspect and um, uh, and educated or um, or, or competent um, lawyers um, kind of question asset protection using LLCs in general, particularly respect to securities accounts. Would you care to expand on that, Jonathan? Oh, my dear brother. Oh, abso- dear. Ab- absolutely. So. Uh, what I've run into is essentially, as, as everyone knows, a limited liability corporation is you all, you all hear him now? Yes, yeah, so a limited liability corporation. So you, see it, you see it quite often with real estate. You know, generally, if you have a bunch of rental properties, you, have a, you should have an LLC for each property, obviously, to minimize the domino effect of uh, litigiousness. But a lot of times I'll have clients with taxable, in other words, non-protected in the state of Florida, non-IRA accounts and a trust, let's just say, and their equity accounts – you know, a couple of million. So they have, they have a million dollars, say, at a wirehouse somewhere that's just right. in their name or maybe with their, uh, their wife. Right? right. So a fresh carcass in a lawsuit for discovery, I think we'd agree. And yet I've seen some hesitance or at least uh, it seems enigmatic when it's brought up that you would use an LLC to own these equity accounts. And yet in real estate, there's no hesitation. So, uh, Counselor, what I'm trying to look for you is, is why do you think perhaps that that looking glass is a little perhaps blurry in some cases on counsel lease that I've experienced at times in looking at equities and delineating from real estate and using the LLC for protection. Well, I, I've heard a lot of people say that just doesn't pass the smell test, but, uh, you know, I don't think their noses are astute enough to recognize that. Well, maybe they'll uh, come to our offices, you know, and it raises the bar on the smell test. <laughs> <laughs> uh, but, you know, and in an LLC can be used just as well for investment assets as anything else. You know, it, and it really goes to business purpose, doesn't it? Yes, it does. And, and I think that's a fundamental misunderstanding or, or misconception or, or error you know, on these attorneys that don't think, well, gee, if it's an investment, it's not a business, but it really is. It's a it, for-profit enterprise, right? It, it's absolutely a business. And uh, you know, we set them up with multiple members. We make it look like a business. We make it smell like a business. And there should be no reason why it would not hold up from an asset protection standpoint. Are you familiar with any case law you know, on these issues? Uh, there are a number of cases that have dealt with uh, the, the business purpose aspect. Uh, most of them are more in the very egregious cases where someone has already been sued and has tried to secrete assets away. Uh, and those so secrete, what an interesting word you mean. Like, is that from like a uh, secret or is that from, you know, an, an oily liquid oozing out of them somehow? <laughs> <laughs> we prefer to think about that motivational point. <laughs> That's ago. right. Uh, but the, the, it's, it's bad case law. And when they say there's no business purpose, it's because, you know, the a uh, person has been so egregious in, in trying to hide assets. So it didn't, fail, it didn't fail for legitimate business purposes, it failed for other reasons. It, right. It just, uh, while we're talking asset protection, uh, John, I'd be curious if you can give me, uh, it could be pretty succinct, no need to go uh, to too much detail, but when do you delineate when a client of yours perhaps would use a domestic asset protection trust versus offshore? 
if there is a lot involved and the client is willing to spend the very large sum of money that they've got to have to maintain an offshore trust, uh, then we should definitely consider it. You know, asset protection, as I've said often, is about building walls between you and the creditor. And uh, the Atlantic Ocean makes a pretty good wall sometimes. And certainly the jurisdictions do. But then I guess the the question I would have is not only you adding complexity and expense and having to deal with nationals in Nevis or the Isle of Man or other places that may be less controllable, um, but also you have the IRS red flag issue, and those flags are whipping pretty, pretty they're snapping pretty loudly in the wind these days. So does that add an additional layer of uh, of, uh, of administrative complexity to U.S. taxpayers? It certainly adds complexity. Although generally, I tell clients don't ever try to move assets offshore just to save taxes. Yeah, they're uh, not good for that purpose. Absolutely yeah. not. No, no, wait, no, wait. I think you still still you can still defer capital gains in the investment account. So that that may is that still true? Yes. All right. So that there is you know some tax leverage not, there. These are not tax reduction tools, no doubt. No, no, no yeah. just this. If you can still defer, you can trade an account offshore. And not have to recognize gains along the way. So that is a significant advantage. But I think that the key is you want to make sure that IRS is fully informed, that you're not trying to hide anything from IRS. The, the reason why you do it certainly is those jurisdictions you just mentioned are a lot friendlier to defendants than the United States. And the United States, as far as as long as you haven't done anything fraudulent, no fraudulent conveyance, they cannot get those assets. Well, I, I think IRS can. I think let me ask you a question. Yeah. If you sue me and I got $2 million on Island of Man, I have an LLC in Island of Man, and then my trust is located in Nevis. And by the way, if your lawsuit doesn't stand the mustard, you're right, going to I, pay. I, I don't think there's any disagreement yeah. that their asset protection will work, but, it's just, but it will not. From IRS, I mean, they, they, they're pretty much reachable all over the world. Well, yeah, but anyway, well, in the two, yeah, in the two minutes to remain, I think a key point is that you don't want you want to make sure that the IRS is complying. That's going to, that costs you some money to, to fill all those forms out, doesn't it? Yes, I mean, it sure not, does. The tax returns aren't cheap. You yeah. probably want twenty million or so, right, to do something like that. At, at least 10, certainly. Okay. <laughs> All right. So most of our li- for those of our listeners that do have the, the need and the interest in an offshore asset protect, call me directly at 800-262-103. No, just kidding. Uh, but typically, you know, you can get an awful lot of good asset protection, even for folks that have $20, $30, 50000000 million, just using the garden variety tools that w- we've spoken about today, LLCs and so forth. Um, but we'll save for a later program some of the more exotic vehicles like foreign asset protection trusts and and like that, um, but 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 typically, you know, we had a, a fellow that was in here today that had the, John. You spoke to him, one of our clients that uh, has a couple hundred thousand dollars uh, that we toyed with the idea of setting up an LLC for that purpose. And typically, that's probably worth doing, isn't it? It wasn't in his case, you know, because of some complexity, but uh, it's very cheap insurance to set up an LLC. All right, and on that note, folks, as we wind down to the most exciting, entertaining, hilarious aspect of the show which is Cousin Arnold, Cousin Vito's, Cousin Tony's. I don't know what cousins we got coming out of the van today, uh, but our Cousins Market Update Report. Stay with us. You won't want to miss this most uh, um, entertaining uh, segment of the show. Uh, but before we uh, bid you adieu for the break, remember, get your copy of the nine biggest dangers facing today's investor and how to avoid them by calling us at 800 262 one zero eight three. Sonia, would you tweet again for us, please, so we can hear your voice twice during the show? Sure. At 
Camarda Wells. Please, we'd love to hear from you. <laughs> That's a wee tweet performance. That is a wee tweet. Thanks. Camarda Wealth Leaders' levity is intentional as we aim to be the car talk of financial radio, entertaining, hugely funny, and offering penetrating financial insight and rare expertise across a broad spectrum of wealth-related topics. We're dead serious about money, but want you to have fun, too, and laugh all the way to the bank. Unlike many financial radio shows, this is not one long commercial or constant annuity pitch. I hate those constant annuity pitches. This is Wealth Education Radio, and we aim to share best financial practices that can truly supercharge your wealth. Do we expect some of you will want to become clients? Sure, but because the chemistry is right, and because you come to believe that the wealth leaders, that's us, can get it done better than your other choices. That's your decision. But when it comes to investing, we're fiduciaries. We put our clients' interests first, and that's a promise you can take to the bank. For more information and free reports, call us now at 888-CAMARDA. That's 888-C-A-M-A-R-D-A. Do it now while it's on your mind, folks. Folks, you're back with the Camarda Wealth Education Leaders on Camarda Wealth Education Radio. Now the most exciting, without further ado, uh, um, the part of the show, Brother Jonathan Camarda, voicing his stock market report, his very astute stock market report, I might add, in a variety of uh, voices. I wonder who we have with us today, Johnny, pray tell. Yeah, that's, uh, it's me again. Uh, hopefully I'm not too loud here. It's, uh, it's Vito back from uh, Vail. So uh, as we start to look, you said uh, back from Veal. Veal. Oh, Veal. No, my skin looks like Veal, but I'm back from Veal. <laughs> I thought that was and, like you know Veal Parmesan or something. Absolutely, we're not going to get into Shield <laughs> law though. Anyway, uh, if you uh, it looks like you have a quiz, uh, quiz, uh, quizlotical look on your face. Uh, you know, I got a quizlotical who me? I got a quizlotical look. I do. I do. I do. Yeah. Hey, uh, well, cousin, uh, cousin Vito, with bond yields uh, rising, what does this have in store for fixed income and markets as a whole? Uh, right now. What you're looking at is a uh, situation where with rising yields, we've been looking at this for a while, uh, with the surging uh, to the highest level since late 2014. And a lot of this is actually emanating from the eurozone. I mean, even German yields are rising. German yields, yes, uh, I did say German yields. Now, the ramifications of plenty of your banks and insurers, they look real attractive in this type of environment. On the flip side, some of the winners the past few years, like utilities and REITs and MLPs, certainly bond surrogates we've seen among the wealthy, might be running out of juice. So even though you squeeze, there might not be anything left in it, so you would definitely want to be aware of what you're holding in a rising yield environment. So that's a little bit concerning, especially considering the plight of bonds for those looking for more uh, yield-oriented holdings. Now, I did speak of the, uh, the Europe kind of spillover effect there on bonds, so let's go over to foreign stocks because they're starting to show some weakness. As I look at the EFI, which in English, by the way, folks, is Europe, Austria, Asia, and Far East, excluding Canada. I thought Ify was your girlfriend, Don. Absolutely. Yeah, she's Swedish. But uh, i gotta get on, I got to get on a step stool, but, you know, <laughs> I love it. You usually just say she's sweet. Absolutely. Swedish, it depends on what mood she's in. So here you go. Again, and the uh, European Austriatic Far East Index, it just rolls off my tongue. It's kind of hitting resistance from back last July of 2014. Moreover, it's dropped below its 50-day moving average, which in English to most of you folks out there should know is a basically a few-month moving average, which is pretty significant considering the uptrend, as Jeff has noted since late last year, has been pretty torrid. Now, the inevitable link to the U.S. equity markets is apparent, and this trend uh, and momentum does not bode well for a domestic picture, as Jeff mentioned, which is already at high valuations. Now, even more concerning than that, with the rising dollar, which we're going to get to, is the emerging markets, which are just flat-turning hideous on us now as the 50-day drop below the 200-day. 
That's pretty significant in English. What that means is, look out below. I mean, you've got some of these commodity exporting countries like Brazil, and here goes Russia again after a nice run early this year. Again, they're very dependent on exporting commodities. You guessed it, commodities are denominated in the greenback. The dollar goes up. They, can, they can't export as much, and uh, so that's, that's troublesome. Now, uh, uh, now, we haven't heard from you too much, then, Sonny, with your new haircut and all that. Uh, you know, you got something for Uncle Vito. <laughs> <laughs> Exactly. And don't call me Efi. <laughs> hey, don't ever call her Efi. <laughs> what does the global market um, picture look like right now? Are we Speak down? up, son. You got to keep your lips close to the microphone. Right, right, right. So, you know, like I said, the, the <laughs> slowdown overseas, especially with the dollar effect right now, and I'm going to go into the dollar because that's, that's the cause. And with the dollar, you're seeing the downside in the commodity index, which certainly has a spillover effect into, like I said, the countries that I already mentioned, like your Brazils, your Russias. Uh, not as much in a lot of parts of Asia. And you've seen Asia a little bit more resilient, although China's certainly kind of sitting on a bubble there. So as we look at that, you know, that, that is a little concerning with the strong dollar. That definitely bodes badly for commodity exporting emerging markets. But Europe, especially like Japan and Germany, if you take out the euro and the yen respectively, uh, which we uh, certainly have been effective doing, there's still a lot of upside in Japan, like companies like Toyota, which we own, and Mitsubishi, et cetera, et cetera. Now, moving right along, uh, you know, I'm looking at small caps and I'm um, seeing some resilience. That's pretty good news. The NASDAQ right now looks like it could break out. So you definitely have some conflicting signs with the S&P uh, looking bullish overall and the economic picture. Uh, obviously, we've had some decent numbers recently. Now, what the heck do you want, Rob? You want something out of me? Well, I'm looking at this chart here, Don Vito, with all these candles, and they're just blowing my mind. So here in the U.S. No, blow, so blow them out, Moose, okay? <laughs> so, so tell me what these U.S. indexes, what does that current trend suggest for us? Yeah, so like I said, so I'm kind of I'm kind of foreshadowed. The small cap index right now, which has been sputtering really for the last month and a half, especially uh, with the dollar, again, with the movement of the dollar, now the dollar removing, uh, resuming to the upside, that's usually positive for your small and mid-cap time stocks because they're not as affected by the negative export-import ratio. In other words, other countries, they're not dealing with them, so they don't have to worry about having an expensive currency like think Johnson & Johnson or Merck, who definitely has to worry about Europeans not being able to be able to afford their products. Thank you so, so much, Cousin Vito. I'm just running Any last uh, words of advice as we take down to the end of the show? No, I forgot to take my other ski off, so I'm going to let you go. All right, go ahead. Thank you so much. And that's Don Vito's report from Veal, from out just back from Veal. Folks, that's the end of yeah, you've suffered through yet another edition of Camarda. Uh, Wealth Education Radio, and uh, we look forward to seeing you next week on WWBA and WOKB. Thanks. Bye-bye. You've invested yet another hour in Camarda's Wealth Education Radio, your one source for sublime insight on all things financial. As Ben Franklin said, pour the coins from your purse into your mind, and your mind will fill your purse with gold. Remember the Camarda Wealth Leader's warm offer of a complimentary review of your investments portfolio. That's a free analysis from the financial team with almost more letters than in the entire alphabet. An offer that makes old Ben smile even now. To get yours before we change our minds, call 888-CAMARDA. That's 888-C-A-M-A-R-D-A. Call now before we run out. That's it for this week, folks. Go forth and profit.
The opinions expressed in the preceding program are strictly those of the host, guests, and callers, and may not reflect the opinions of the advertisers or broadcaster. Performance results are presented net of fees and reflect the reinvestment of dividends and capital gains. Past performance may not be indicative of future results. Therefore, no current or prospective client should assume that future performance of any specific investment or strategy will be profitable or equal to past performance levels. All investment strategies have the potential for profit or loss. Changes in investment strategies, contributions, withdrawals, and or economic conditions may materially alter the performance of your portfolio. Different types of investment involve varying degrees of risk. There can be no assurance any specific investment strategy will be suitable or profitable for any client's investment portfolio. Historical results for investment indexes or categories generally do not reflect the of transaction fees or custodial charges or an investment manager's fees, the presence of which could reduce the client's actual performance results. There are no assurances that a portfolio will match or outperform a particular benchmark. Asset allocation and diversification do not assure or guarantee better performance and cannot eliminate the risk of investment losses. That testing involves a hypothetical reconstruction based on past market data of which the performance of a particular account would have been if the advisor had been managing an account using a particular investment strategy. Performance results presented do not represent actual trading using client assets, but were achieved through the retroactive application of a model that was designed with the benefit of hindsight. Back tested performance results have inherent limitations, particularly that these results do not represent actual trading and do not reflect the impact of material market or economic conditions or factors that may influence the advisor's decision-making if the advisor were actually managing the client's money. Back-tested results should not be viewed as indicative of the advisor's skill, as they do not reflect the results achieved by any particular client of the advisor. Barron's rankings are survey-based and not made as a result of primary research by Barron's, but from information provided by ranked advisors. It should not be assumed that all advisor-based data is checked by Barron's.